All right, Hebrews chapter 2 this morning. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. All right, look at with me in Hebrews chapter 2. I want to read a couple of verses this morning. I want to try to preach to you about this morning so great salvation, so great salvation. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 2 and look in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. The Bible says, "Therefore, we ought to give heed the we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip." For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him, God also bearing them witness both with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. He said there in verse 3, he said, it's so great a salvation. It's so great. It's, it's a great salvation. I want to try and preach a little bit this morning on that. Father, I pray that you help me, Lord, this morning. God, I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be here this morning. Lord, thank you for the opportunity, Lord, to preach to your people. And God, I pray that, Lord, if there be somebody here that's lost, Lord, I pray that you deal with them. God, Lord, maybe somebody operating under false assumptions, Lord, of their salvation. I pray that you'd make that very clear. Lord, you'll have to make it very clear. Lord, I don't want to convince anybody one way or another. Lord, you're the one that is supposed to do the convincing, Lord, the convicting. And God, we leave that in your hands this morning. And Lord, we truly trust that, Lord, if there's conviction to be had, it'll come straight from the word of God, Lord, uh, by the mouth of a preacher, by the mouth of a gospel witness. And so, God, we pray that you have your way. Lord, pray that you clear my mind, Lord, of all distractions. I pray that you'd help me to focus this morning. God, pray that you'd clear these folks' minds of distractions. God, help them, Lord, to hear, Lord. Lord God, I pray, Lord, you said, uh, Lord, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. God, I pray that you'd help him, Lord, to do that this morning. God, Lord, have your will and way among us. Lord, pray that the presence of God would be here. Lord, pray that you'd deal with hearts as you see fit and as is needed. We'll thank you for it in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. He said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. This is a great salvation. And we could elaborate there for quite some time about the fact of what a wonderful thing it is. We could take five minute recess and shout about those things. But I want to impress upon your minds that this is a great salvation in the sense of this is not something that is trivial. This is not something that is insignificant. The salvation that we deal with here in these spiritual matters, the salvation that we deal with from the Word of God, this is something that has eternal implications. Uh, this is not just something that is a pill for you to take that will make you feel better for a little while. Listen, the Bible said, Paul said, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he said, if we, he said, if we have hope only in this life, he said, we're of all men most miserable. Listen, if the only thing, and listen, I, I really believe, I really believe that that is what salvation has become to a lot of saved folks. It's become a pill that is to soothe them in some capacity. Uh, the gospel has become people's Xanax. 
or possibly, you know, Tums or something like that. It's just something that's here to make me feel better. And listen, if that is the view that you have of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you couldn't be further from the truth. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is not here to put money in your pocket. It's not here to make you feel better. It's not to bring you out of a state of depression, although it will do that. But that's not what it's here for. The gospel exists to change your eternal destination from hell to heaven. The gospel, listen, uh, something that I could say that would be more accurate and more true than that statement. We take joy and we take pleasure in the fact that when we get saved, God took us off the road to hell and put us on the way to heaven. That's a great thing to rejoice about. It really is. But more than that, what the gospel is really about is it is about putting man back into his right relationship with God. Listen, the reason that you are miserable as the devil in here this morning is if you are miserable, it could be because you're backslidden as the devil. But if you lost the reason, the reason that you're so miserable this morning is because you are not in a right relationship with the God that made you. Uh, People have the tendency of looking at their life and saying, if only this could be fixed and only if this issue could be taken care of, if we could only eliminate war and we could eliminate poverty, then all would be well. But let me ask you something. If we eliminated all of those things, if we eliminated poverty and we eliminated war and we eliminated all these social things that are causing so much trouble, what then? And I'll, I'll supply that answer. What would happen is you'd go right back to the same old slop that you've been involved with that's causing all of that trouble. Yes, sir. Uh, not, I'm not asking you if that's true. I'm telling you, as a God-called preacher upon the authority of God's word, all of your problems come from one simple thing, and that is the fact that you are not in a right relationship with God. It is because you are a rebel against God and you lost a state. As a man, as a woman, as a boy, as a girl who's never trusted Christ as your Savior, you are a rebel against God. You say, oh no, not me, Brother Nathan. Absolutely, you especially. You're a rebel against God and you are under the wrath of God. Listen, if you're under God's wrath, you have no privilege, you have no right to be happy. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That is, that is God that you're dealing with. If you're, if you're under the anger and the condemnation of God's wrath, you have no right to be happy. Uh, you want to try and be happy without being rightly related to God. You are what God, what Jesus Christ called in John chapter 12, a thief. You're a robber. Hey, if you want to get into the sheepfold, he said in John chapter 10, some other way than by the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Well, I want, I want life, Brother Nathan. I really want to live. Well, you're going to have to get there by Jesus. And if you don't want to get there by Jesus, listen, I'm not telling you what I think. I'm not telling you what my opinion is. I have no personal vendetta against any individual sitting in here this morning. I'm telling you what God said. God said, you're a thief and you're a robber. You're a thief and you're a robber. You have no right to pleasure in this life if you're not right with God. If you've never been saved, if you've never been born again, you say, what are you saying, Brother Nathan? What I'm trying to get across to you this morning is that this salvation is not trivial. This is not a light issue. It's not something to just be overlooked. If it wasn't a great salvation, you could look at it and just pass over it. 
You could look at it and say, well, it's not all that big of a deal. You could look at it like church attendance. You could look at it like reading your Bible. You say, why do you say those things? Because I know that's how a lot of folks look at matters of religion. They just look at it as it's something to be overlooked. But this salvation is not that way. This salvation, it's a great salvation. The Bible says in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's the power of God. It's a gospel. It is a salvation of power, of power. It's a salvation. It is a gospel of power. It's a great, it's a great salvation. And listen, if it's so great, which it is, if it's so enormous, if it's so magnificent, then the implications are very high. They're very strong that if you ignore these things, your condemnation is going to be great. Uh, listen, if there's something that is very important to your life and you ignore that thing, you're not going to ignore it without grave consequences. Uh, for example, eating. Yes, sir. I don't, I don't recommend. I don't recommend that you go very long without eating. Uh, I think I think at the most you could maybe go without eating for maybe a couple of weeks, maybe not even that long. Well, you start going very long without eating, boy, you're gonna you're gonna start to have some complications in your body. You say why? Because eating is a great thing. You're gonna do it. You're gonna ignore those things with grave implications to your own health. Well, it's the same way with this great gospel that we're involved in. This great salvation that we're involved in. Uh, the gospel that we preach is not for you to come to church. Those things are right and they're good. The gospel that we preach is not that you should read your Bible. That's right and that's good. The gospel that we preach is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. What is it that you're looking to? What is it that you're counting on to justify in the sight of God? What is it that you're pinning all of your hopes on in order to make you rightly related to God in heaven? A lot of folks are pinning their hopes to some kind of emotional experience that they had, I suppose. And I don't discount emotions at all when it comes to a man being born again. I believe it's not a bad thing. I don't believe that it would be erroneous at all to see that there are emotions that come out of that. But listen, let me tell you what this salvation regards. It regards a matter of facts. It regards a matter of truth. What is true? What is so? The, he said this is so great. What things are so? Yes, sir. Well, those things that are so, they have implications for all of eternity. Yes, sir. It's so great a salvation. And listen, you don't have to go very far. You don't have to go very far this morning outside of where we've chosen to read our text from. You don't have to go very far from there to see how great of a salvation it is. Look at what he says. As a matter of fact, in verse 1, that's exactly what he calls you to do. He calls you to acknowledge the source of this great salvation. Verse 1, he says, therefore... Well, that word, therefore, you don't have to be a grammar uh, student or a grammar professor to understand that that therefore refers to something that took place that has already been formally discussed. Well, he says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Well, what's the things that he just spoken about? Well, the things in chapter one. Well, what, what are the things in chapter one, brother Nathan? The sole idea behind chapter one is that Jesus Christ is better. 
We preached a sermon on that not too long ago. And I think we put that up on the internet. But the idea of Hebrews chapter 1 is that Jesus Christ is better. You say better than what? Better than anything you can compare him to. In the particular passage of Hebrews chapter 1, he gives a couple of things that he compares the Lord Jesus Christ to. He's better than the angels. Sure. Uh, Michael the archangel never gave himself a sacrifice for your sins. He couldn't do it. He wasn't a sufficient payment. Uh, there's no man that's ever given himself a sacrifice for your sins. They couldn't do it. It wouldn't be satisfactory to God. Only Jesus Christ could do that. Hey, Jesus Christ is better than the creation. He said right here in verse 10, he said, Thou, O Lord, in the beginning, hast, this is chapter 1, verse 10, hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment. And as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Listen, there will come a time, there will come a time in the future to where the heavens and earth, as you know them, are going to vanish away. They are going to disappear. And you know who will still be standing? Jesus Christ in all of his glory. Amen. You say, why? Because Jesus is better. Amen. You say, well, I think we should take care of the horned owl and the spotted woodpecker. I got news for you. Jesus is better than those things. Yes, sir. I don't recommend taking care of the environment if you can't even take care of your own babies. Amen. Amen. America is so messed up. They're so messed up about saving the whales and saving the dolphins. And yet they're taking their little unborn babies and putting them in a blender and chopping them up in pieces and putting them in the dumpster. Amen. Amen. I think you've got a moral problem. I think your moral compass is as messed up as it can be. You know what you need? You need this great salvation. Amen. Amen. That's true. Jesus is better. Jesus is better than the environment. Jesus is better than, than creation. You know, how, you know how a nation gets into the condition to where they can look at two men that make goo-goo eyes at each other and say that it's okay? You know how they get there? They get there, they get there by looking at the creation and rendering it reverence and re rendering it honor and giving it glory that was supposed to be given to God. Amen. You say, where do you get that from? Romans chapter 1. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We could preach a while there this morning, but that would detract a little bit from where I'm trying to go this morning. This is a great salvation. You say, why? Because of where it comes from. It comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. And listen, you can get upset with all kinds of things that are going on in churches and get upset with preachers and get upset with church folks. But I'm telling you, when you stand before God, you're not going to be able to use any of those things as a justification for ignoring so great salvation. You won't be able to use those things as a justification at all. Hey, if Jesus Christ is so great, if he's so great, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard. Yes, sir, it's a big deal. Uh, look at what he says. He says, therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed, chapter 2, verse 1, to the things which we have heard lest at any time 
we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. You say, Brother Nathan, I don't exactly understand what he's talking about. Well, let me explain very quickly what, he, what he's talking about there. If you look with me in Acts chapter 7, uh, very quickly, Acts chapter 7 verse 35, he tells you that when Moses got his commission to go back down into Egypt, he received that commission from God by the hand of an angel. Look at what he says. This is Stephen preaching to the Pharisees, and he says, Acts chapter 7, verse 35, he said, This Moses whom they refused, saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge? That same, the same did God send to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel which appeared to him in the bush. When you read in Exodus chapter 3 about God appearing to Moses in the bush, you come to Acts chapter 7, and Stephen said that that wasn't God himself, that was an angel. You say, which one's right? Both. You say, what's that all about? I don't know. Maybe you should do a little bit of study on that. I do know something about what it's about, but you should certainly do a study. That's not what we're looking at this morning. All I'm trying to tell you is that the commission that Moses got from God, he got it from the hand of an angel. He got it from God by the hand of an angel. Look in chat, uh, verse 53. Uh, well, look in verse 51. He said, Stephen's still preaching to the Pharisees. He said, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them, which showed before of the coming of the just one, of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law. Talking about Israel. He said they received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. Hey, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai and he got the Ten Commandments, I often point back here because we used to have the Ten Commandments uh, pasted up here. I say pasted. We used to have them mounted up here on a little thing. But when they got the Ten Commandments, when, they, when Moses got the Ten Commandments, Moses received those things from the hand of God by an angel. You say, well, why would God do those things? Because God told Moses at one time, Moses said, Lord, let me see your glory. And he said, there's no man that can see my face and live. If God revealed himself to even Moses, if God revealed himself to Moses, Moses wouldn't have been able to live. Moses wouldn't have been able to exist. Moses up there on the mount dealing with God and God is working with Moses, giving him all these instructions excuse me, through, according to the uh, book of Acts chapter 7, God's dealing with Moses by the hand of an angel. And still when Moses came down off the mount according to the book of Exodus and according to 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Moses, when he came down off the mount, had to put a veil over his face. You say, why? Because the Bible said his face shone. Shone as the sun. You say, why? It was because of the God that he was dealing with. That law, listen, that law that was given to Moses, that law that was handed down to Israel from, from God to this angel, down to Moses, then down to the children of Israel, that law had grave implications. This was the law that was given to Moses to where if a man went out on the Sabbath day trying to gather sticks to just make him a little fire, maybe so that he could keep warm, or maybe that he could make him something to eat. They put him in ward because he's working. They put him in jail. 
They secluded him and they put him off to the side because he was working on the Sabbath day and they put him in ward, the Bible says, so that the mind of the Lord could be showed unto them. And the, Moses said, hey, what do we do with this fellow? And God said, kill him. Kill him. Oh, what do you mean by that? Well, he was working on the Sabbath day. He violated one of God's commandments. God said, kill him. Grave implications. It's a, it's a great law. It's a, it's a great thing that was handed down from God by the hand of an angel down to Moses, down to the children of Israel. And what Paul is saying in Hebrews chapter 2, he said, you better give the more earnest heed to the things that we have said. This gospel that was preached about Jesus Christ himself, that gospel was handed down to the apostles where they're proclaiming that Jesus Christ died for the sins of not only Jews but also Gentiles and whosoever will believe can have their sins forgiven and have their sins washed away. You better take heed to that gospel. Why? Because this was not handed down to a group of angels. This was handed down to God himself, handed over to the hands of the apostles and these prophets and now it's the word that we preach unto you, you better listen. You better take heed. You better pay attention. You better be careful about letting these things slip, he says in verse 1. He says, because if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, which it did, Old Testament law, nothing went unnoticed. Nothing went undone. Man did something. God had a remedy and God had a way of dealing with it. Old Achan, after they handed out that Old Testament law, old Achan thought he'd, he'd pull one over on, on the children of Israel and he went into Jericho. Joshua had given instructions and said, everything that we find in Jericho has to be dedicated to the Lord's treasury. It all has to be God's. He said, don't none of you take any of this stuff. He said, it, it has to be the Lord's. He said, these things are accursed. But old Achan got in there and said, I think I can take this stuff and nobody will ever find out. Old Achan slips in there and he grabs him some wedges of gold and he grabs him a goodly Babylonian garment and he takes it back to his house, takes it back to his little tent, to his little camp, and he hides it in the floor of his tent. Nobody ever knows until the next day when the children of Israel go up to fight against the children of Ai, lose several thousand of their best men. Joshua falls on his face and says, what's this all about? And God says, it's because somebody took the accursed thing back there from Jericho. Hey, God, God has a way of snuffing things out. Listen, you're sitting in here this morning and thinking, well, you know, this, this stuff that all these fanatics, all these crazy Baptists get together and talk about when they come to church, it's not all that big of a deal. My life is just as in good shape as theirs is. Hey, what's going on in my life is just as important as what's going on as as important as what's going on down there at the church on Sunday morning. Listen, God has a way of being able to snuff those things out. God has a way of being able to bring out those foolish thoughts and bring out those foolish notions, those foolish ideas, and bring them out not before anybody in here, although He might do that, but He has a way of bringing it out to where you know that He knows. Listen, there will come a day, there will come a day, if it never registers on this side of the grave, if it never registers on this side of the great white throne of judgment, if it never registers in your mind, it will register at some point in the future that God has seen everything that you've ever done. Every foolish notion, every act of disobedience, every act of rebellion, God's going to bring that all out and God is going to address it to you personally, personally, 
personally. It won't be between you and a preacher on that day. It won't be between you and the church on that day. It won't be between you and your grudged family members on that day. It'll be between you and your maker. Listen, the one that'll sit before you is the one that the Bible said in Isaiah chapter 53, he was despised and he was rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He won't be despised on that day. He won't be a man of grief that day. He won't be a man that's acquainted with sorrows on that day. He'll be your judge. He'll be your maker. That'll be the one before whom all of these things that you've ever done and tried to conceal over and hide over. Things that nobody in the church ever knew about. Yes, sir. Things that nobody in your family ever found out about. That stolen cookie that your mama never found out about. Huh? That little piece of candy that you picked up at Harvey's and didn't pay for. God will find those things out. God will reveal those things. The Bible said in Romans chapter 2, In that day God shall judge the secrets of men. Paul said, according to my gospel. God said, I'll bring that out. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. You say, Brother Nathan, you're trying to scare me. You darn tootin', I'm trying to scare you. You know where the failure of modern day religion has come? I'm trying to think of something to put on the other side of the sign. And while I'm doing that, I got this thing written down in my office. I fully intend to put it on the sign. Of course, you know how that goes, uh, old procrastinating fellas. But you know where the failure of modern day religion is? It's in its abhorrence of the fear of God. That's where modern day religion has failed. You know, there was a time in this country... There was a time in this country when it wasn't just the Baptists that were afraid of God. Nowadays, even most of the Baptists ain't afraid of God. God is a God to, he he just loves us. Well, he does love, he does love you in the sense that he sent his son to die for you. But that doesn't negate the fact that he's a God to be feared. I dare say what's wrong with some of you sitting in here this morning, this morning, right now, what's going on in your heart is that you're just not afraid of God. You don't fear him like you're supposed to. You say, why would you say something like that? Because the Bible says the fear of the Lord is clean. It's clean. You clean this morning? If you're not clean, it's because you don't fear God. Bible says in 2 Corinthians, I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, talking about the judgment seat of Christ. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Oh, Brother Nathan, I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and receive the rewards that's coming to me for the life that I've lived for Jesus Christ. How do you reckon that's going to go? You got your head upright knowing that you're getting everything that you'd like to have? Oh, Brother Nathan, I'll just be satisfied with a log cabin on the backside of glory. Is that right? When you're standing next to men like John Wesley and George Whitfield, it's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to know that one day you're going to the judgment seat of Christ. The opportunities that you had, you wasted them. Listen, some of you sitting right here in this very building, all you've done with your life is wasted it from the time you've got saved. You have wasted it from the time you got saved to this point. You've wasted it on your pleasure. You've wasted it on your satisfaction. You've wasted it on your happiness. You've wasted it trying to be happy. And you're the most miserable wretch that's sitting in here this morning. How's that going for you? Listen to me. Please listen. 
I'm pleading with you. I'm trying to tell you, God is trying to tell you something. God is trying to deal with you. People ignore that kind of stuff. People ignore the idea that when trouble comes in their life, hey, maybe God is trying to deal with my heart about something. Maybe God is trying to speak to me. And just kind of dismiss that and act like, well, this is just something that happens to all men. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's because all men are sinners. You don't have one problem in here this morning that is not caused by your iniquity. You don't have one problem in here that is not caused by your sin. The whole reason that we're in the mess that we're in as far as the general state of man is concerned is because we're sinners. We're sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And listen, when you begin to develop the attitude that you can snuff your nose at that kind of idea, snuff your nose at the idea that, hey, this God that I'm dealing with is a God that made me. He's my maker. He is my judge. We just, we just want to love the Lord. Well, I hope you love him. Well, God just loves me. Well, it's true in that he sent his son to die for your sins. But when you get to the place to where that love outweighs the fact and it negates the fact and it ignores the fact that, hey, that same God is a God to be feared. You are on thin ice. Because, an evil, because sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the hearts of the sons of men are fully, they're fully set in them to do evil. You do something in 1975 and the consequences of that thing doesn't show up until 1993. Men look at what happens in 1993 and say, there's no way that took place because of 1975. Not even something that crosses their mind. Oh, I wonder why all this is happening to me. It's because God is a terrible God. He's a terrible God. I don't mean he's a bad God. I mean he is a God of terror. When's the last time you heard that preached? Of course, if you come to this church, you hear it a little more often. Because we try to be balanced in those things. In a society that emphasizes so much God is love. Which he is. I'm not trying to take away from that. God is love. You better thank God God is love. You better thank God God's gracious. Else you and I both, you and I, I both, we'd be in a grave right now. We'd be in hell right now. You better thank God God's a God of grace. But I'm telling you, that same God that saved your soul if you're saved, and that same God, listen to me, if you're not saved, that same God who you're trifling with this morning, he's a terrible God. He is a God of terror. Listen, if you think you can just ignore those things, if you think you can come into a church, listen to me, you think you can come into a little backwoods church sitting in a little town called Folkestone, what's Folkestone, man? This is not London. This is not the Westminster Chapel. Huh? This is not the First Baptist Church of Dallas. No big names around here. What's this church? Listen to you, the same message that's being preached here this morning is the same message that is preached in Bible-believing churches all across the United States, all across the world. This gospel that we preach to you is the same gospel that saves men everywhere, throughout the entire church age. And if you think you can turn up your nose at that and snuff it, boy, you're so wrong. And the unfortunate thing is that there's nothing that I can do other than take you to a script. I say an unfortunate thing. The only thing I can do is take you to the scriptures and show you what God said and leave that between you and God. God will have to prove it to you someday if your heart is too hard to believe. 
Yes, sir. He's a terrible God. He's a terrible God. This. Can I say it in just modern terms? This is a big deal. It's a big deal. It's a weighty issue. It's a weighty matter. Hey, if God didn't let any of that stuff go untouched, unnoticed in the Old Testament, what makes you think God is going to turn a blind eye to those of you that have sat under men that have had a direct relationship with Jesus Christ? Listen. The word that Moses got on, the, on Mount Sinai, he got from God from an angel. The word that I received, as far as the salvation of my soul is concerned, I received it from a man who had a direct relationship with Jesus Christ. God reached into that man's life and saved his soul. I'm talking about a preacher. God reached into that man's life directly, not by an angel, not by signs, not by a vision. God reached into his soul. God himself, Jesus Christ, reached into his soul and saved him by his marvelous grace. And that man came and he preached the gospel to me, handed me a gospel track. I'm talking about those of you sitting in here this morning. You've heard the gospel preached. You've heard God deal with deal with you about this same gospel message over and over again and you keep turning it away. Well, listen, if it was so severe, listen, if it was so severe in the Old Testament, you think that now just because you can ignore that thing and God is not dealing with it right now, you think you're going to get off scot-free for the rest of eternity? Hey, listen, this thing, this thing that we're preaching to you this morning, we didn't get it from the hands of an angel. We got it from Jesus Christ himself. That's what Hebrews 1 says. God, God, who at sundry times and in divers manners spake unto the prophets in different ways at different times, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son. God's spoken to you. God has spoken to me by his son. And you think that it's going to be harder for a bunch of Israelites back in the Old Testament that got the law of God from Moses by the hand of an angel? You got something, you got another thing coming to you. Listen, it's going to be more severe for you. Those of you especially that have lived in South Georgia. Those of you that have lived in Florida. Those of you that have lived in South Carolina. Those of you that have lived in what is known in this country as the Bible Belt that has had so much of the gospel preached to them year in, year out, year in, year out. And you sit on an, on an old-fashioned Church seat, I was going to say a pew, but there's seats. Here you sit in a church this Sunday morning and you hear the gospel preached one more time and you look at it and say, nah, not for me, not a big deal. Boy, it's going to be bad for you. 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 It's going to be bad. It's going to be bad. It's going to be real bad. You say, how bad? Bad for eternity. You say, Brother Nathan, this kind of preaching makes me a little uncomfortable. It should if you're lost. It really should. It should be a wake-up call. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast in every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape? Where are you going to run? What door are you going to open that's going to get you away from God's wrath? Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You're not going to escape. God's, God's going to get you. God's coming for you. You say, when's he coming for me? I don't know. Might be today, might be tomorrow. You slu Listen, you slough those things off. You go walk out this back door, get in your car, turn it on. Go out, get out here on Highway 40. Log truck coming, just mow you right over. 
Hmm? Could. You say, Brother Nathan, but just as much as it could, it might not. That's true. And that would be just as much more dangerous. Because then you'd be hardened. See, I was right. That preacher didn't know what he was talking about. Listen, I can't tell you the day of your death. I can't tell you how God's going to deal with you. All I can tell you is that God is going to deal with you. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Yes, sir. It'll happen. It'll happen. It'll happen. Let me, Paul, Paul deals with this same concept again in Hebrews chapter 10. You're welcome to turn there if you like, but I'll read it to you. Hebrews chapter 10. The very same thing that I've been preaching to you just now about receiving the law of Moses. God received, uh, Israel received these things from God by the hand of an angel through Moses to the children of Israel. Uh, these things, it, it's severe. It was a severe judgment that came on these people. Well, look in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 28. <clears throat> he said, he that despised Moses' law died. What's those two words? Without mercy. He died without mercy under two or three witnesses. He died without mercy. He said, Brother Nathan, I'm trusting in the mercy of God to get me to heaven. Me too. But I'm trusting God's mercy in what Jesus did for me at Calvary. Amen. I'm not looking for God's mercy when I stand before him and start trying to plead with God. The problem with a lot of professing Christians is that, and I say profession, some folks are say that they're saved and they're not. I, I don't know about those things. All I know is that many folks make a profession because that's what the Bible tells me. There'll be people that will make professions and they never got the goods. But all I can say is this, all I can say is this, a lot of folks is trusting in the fact, they're pinning their hopes on the idea that, hey, when I stand before God, God is such a good God. He'll, he'll understand. He'll let me into heaven. I've done the best that I can in this life and he'll understand. No, listen to me. What God understands, what God understands is that he gave his son a vicarious atonement for your transgressions, all of them. And the call was for you to trust what he did for you at Calvary 2,000 years ago. And if you reject that, your window of mercy is over. God's mercy is right now. God's mercy is right now. God's mercy is right now. It's not when you stand before him. It's not next week. It's not next month. You say, Brother Nathan, I don't want to get saved right now. I'll get saved next time I come. You have no guarantee. You have no guarantee that God will deal with you next week. You come and sit in the church this morning. If you're sitting here under conviction this morning, God dealing with you. Whatever might be going on in your mind, God dealing with you saying, you know that's right. You know it's true. And you sit here this morning and you say, well, I'll, I'll come next week. I'll, I'll get a little more ready and I'll come next week and I'll get saved. There's no guarantee that you come and sit back in this very same place. Even if I preach the same message, there's no guarantee you'd be under the conviction that you're under right now. There's just no guarantee. God might be gracious to you, but your door of opportunity might be closed. Today's the day of salvation. Yes, sir. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy under two or three witnesses. Of how much sore punishment suppose ye shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit of grace. You reject Jesus Christ. The Bible said that you've looked at the blood of Jesus Christ and you've trodden it underfoot. 
turn around and walk out this morning knowing that you're lost, knowing that you're on your way to hell, knowing that God's dealing with you, knowing that the gospel call has gone out to you this morning, and you look at it and you say, not today. God said in his word, trodden the blood of Jesus Christ under your foot. You're the one. You're the one that's spitting in God's face. You're the one that's rejecting the mercy that God's offered to you in his son dying for your sins. God's not the tyrant. God is not the unjust one. It's you. It's you. You're the offender. You're the offender. You're the offender. Let me say a word about this and then I'll close and give an invitation. He said here in Hebrews chapter 2, he said, verse 1, he said, Therefore, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. He said, well, Brother Nathan, I don't really feel like I have any specific animosity toward this gospel. Well, you are the one that this passage is talking to. He didn't say we should take the earnest heed lest at any time we should rebel against the word of God. We should rebel or we should be antagonistic toward the word of this gospel. He said, all you got to do is just let it slip. Look at what he says in verse 3. He said, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? The greatest danger that people go through sitting in a church like this one this morning, having heard the gospel. Listen, I don't doubt. I don't doubt that there's folks that have heard the gospel preached over and over again. You know how to get saved. You know how to trust Christ. You know how to come to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask for forgiveness of sins. You know how to do those things, but you put it off and you put it off. You know what you've done? You've neglected. You've let those things slip right through your hands. Just let it go. Not a big deal. Listen, this salvation that we preach to you this morning, it's a great salvation. It's a great salvation. You can't let those things be neglected. You can't let those things slip without grave consequences. Let me give you an illustration from the Old Testament. The Bible said that Esau was a man who had a birthright. That's spiritual blessings. That's a spiritual uh, assignment that's given to a firstborn son in the Old Testament. He said he had this birthright. And he came in from hunting one day. And his brother Jacob had a pot of beans on a fire. So he's cooking those things. And he said, hey, let me have a bowl of them beans. And Jacob looked at those beans and he looked at Esau and he said, I'll tell you what, I'll give you a bowl of beans if you'll sell me your birthright. Right? Esau looked at him and said, what good's this birthright going to do me? I'm hungry. It's yours. Give me them beans. And you know what the Bible said in the book of Genesis? It said, thus, thus, Esau despised his birthright. He said, Brother Nathan, I don't look at the gospel of Jesus Christ with any amount of despicableness in my heart. You don't have to be antagonistic against it. All you have to do is look at the gospel, look at the state of your soul, look at what's being preached and say, that's not as important as my job. That's not as important as my family. Let me tell you the ticket that most Southerners are going to go to hell on is their family. Don't tell me. I've grown up here. I got family members that think that way. Blood's thicker than water. Only if you ain't been drinking enough water. 
A lot of, lot of folks is going to die and go to hell because they put their family in front of God's book. They put their family, they put their family in front of what was being preached to them from a gospel pulpit. I'm not telling you that the family's not important. What I am telling you is it, it's not as important as what's being preached to you this morning. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. It's not as important as what God said in his word. You know what you're doing if you take that attitude? You're despising the gospel. Hey, this is not, this gospel that's being preached is not as important as my job. You know, if I get saved, boy, the folks down there at the job, they're going to make fun of me. If I get saved, I wonder what old Aunt Susie's going to think, and I wonder what my cousin Bob is going to think. I wonder what my mama's going to think. I wonder what my children are going to think. You know what you're doing? Whether you want to believe it or not, I'm telling you what the Bible said, because it's what Esau did. He despised his birthright just because he wanted something more than he wanted his birthright. Some of you folks will stay up and watch hours upon hours of television or YouTube or whatever it might be because you want to learn something or you just want to be entertained. But you wouldn't dare spend hours upon hours in that book to figure out, how do I have eternal life? You know what you're doing? You're despising the gospel. You sit in a society to where this society can hand you everything that you'd like to have at a moment's notice. You live in the microwave society. You want something to eat? Put it in the microwave and nuke it. Instant food. Instant coffee. Instant tea. I mean, instant oatmeal. Everything can just be handed to you immediately. And that's got you so hosed up in your mind to where you take no time to consider, hey, what's going to happen after all this instant stuff goes away? What's going to happen to me in the next life? What's going to happen to me when I die and shed my old carcass and this is planted in the dirt? What's going to happen to me? But you're not thinking about that because there's so much pleasure that can be offered right now. There's so much, quote unquote, happiness, although you're not happy. You be honest with yourself, you're not happy. That's what sin does to you. Yes, sir. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. The lack of feeling, the lack of specific inclination that you have towards this gospel, towards this great salvation, is exactly what Paul the Apostle warns you against right here in Hebrews chapter 2. You better pay attention, is what he said. You better give the more earnest heed because there's coming a day. There's coming a day where it'll be too late. It'll be too late. Cold indifference is what will send many a man, many a woman to hell. Unconcerned apathy. Come in church this morning and ah, it's not really a big deal. Here we are, just one more religious service. You know what Paul said? He quoted an Old Testament scripture in Acts chapter 28. He quoted the book of Isaiah. He said, he said let me read it to you. He said, the heart of this people is waxed gross and their ears are dull of hearing and their eyes they've closed. Can't hear, can't listen, can't see. Just go on in iniquity, go on in transgression. 
until sudden destruction comes upon you. And then you look around and say, oh, God, where did this come from? Well, you've been warned. Listen, I don't really know of too many people sitting in here this morning. I don't know of too many people in here that haven't been in some kind of a church a good portion of their life. Maybe not most, but a good portion. You've heard a warning. You've heard a preacher get up somewhere in your life and warn you about the, the effects of sin. You've heard a preacher warn you about things that God's judgment that's going to come. At least I hope you've heard those things. You've heard about those things and you just push it off and push it off. You know what you're doing? You're letting it slip. You're neglecting those things. And one day you're going to neglect it to your own demise and it'll be too late. It'll be too late. It'll be too late. You going to do it one more day? One more Sunday? Put it off one more Sunday, will you? No guarantee. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness this morning. God, I pray that, Lord, you deal with hearts. Uh, Lord, I pray, God, that you'd speak. And, God, uh, Lord, make these things real. God, Lord, I, I just pray that you make these things real. Deal with hearts as you see fit. And God, we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Going to open up a... The altar's for an invitation. You need to come. Why don't you come and do business with God? Listen, if you don't know that you're saved, why don't you just come up here and just flag me down or catch me after the service. Boy, I'd be glad to take a Bible or get my wife to take a Bible if you're a lady and show you how you can know that your sins are forgiven. Listen, let me ask you something. Those of you that are saved, have you still been taking heed to this great gospel? Have you still been taking heed? It's still a great gospel. It's still a great fact that Jesus Christ washed all your sins away. Have you thanked him for it?